Okay, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's open them up to Luke chapter 6. Some of you are like, we're out of chapter 5, and I was like, congratulations, we did it, right? Uh, We only have a lot more chapters to go through. Um, So so I think Luke chapter 6. Now, I think one of the great benefits of walking together through books of the Bible, the way that we do here at Merge, uh, is, is that how over the course of a few weeks we get to see uh, themes or, or really patterns develop in these verses. That, that when we come to uh, the Gospels, this is, I think, incredibly important because uh, even in the singular episodes, which is what we get to experience, we can only chew on so many verses on a Sunday, right, before we all have to go to lunch. Um, but, but even in these singular episodes, we're kind of, we're building toward a monumental pinnacle, uh, which just changes the, the course of human history. And, and if you've been with us specifically these past few weeks, you, you should be able to remember or, or you should be able to see some consistent characters who are at play in, in chapters 5 and uh, chapter 6, and, and really going back to chapter 4, but, but we, we, have, um, we have Jesus, okay? So, so he's, he's kind of a big deal, okay? So anytime you get in the Bible and there's this guy named Jesus, um, he should be noticed, uh, and you should pay attention to, to what he says and how he acts. Uh, and then you have his disciples who, for the past couple weeks, have been present but quiet. Uh, and then you have uh, a, a specific religious people group that, that the Bible calls Pharisees and scribes. And, uh, and they have brought, over the last two weeks particularly, uh, they've brought two objections uh, to the table. Uh, and the, their first objection was right after uh, Jesus walks up to Levi or Matthew uh, at the tax collector booth and he says, hey, follow me. And, and where he follows Jesus is... Strangely enough, back to Levi's house, uh, who is throwing a party and a feast with, uh, for Jesus. And it says that, that tax collectors and sinners were at this party. And so, so the scribes and the Pharisees, they show up, or they were there, and, and they bring up this objection uh, that, that Jesus is spending time with these people who the church have deemed unworthy. Uh, and and really untouchable, to which Jesus just responds by proclaiming uh, that his mission is to come and to call sinners to repentance in in efforts to rescue them from sin that leads to death. Uh, And so we said, you know, as we follow Jesus, his mission becomes our mission. Uh, And so, so we find those people, we spend time with people who are far from God so that they can find their life in Jesus. And and then last week, uh, they brought a question to the table uh, where uh, Jesus' disciples were not fasting as frequently as, as their disciples. Uh, and then secondly, and also um, the way that John the Baptist's disciples fasted, uh, to which Jesus looks at them and he says, at some point they will. Uh, at some point they will fast, but, but not while they're with me. And, and we framed that text by, by saying how faith in Jesus is about joy and that joy ushers in something new. This is, this is what he's explaining to the Pharisees, that he is bringing something new, but not in the sense that, that it stands in opposition to the old, or for them, the current, uh, but, that, but that the new, in, in a sense, fulfills the requirements of the old. And so, so we, we try to keep this in mind uh, in, in these weeks, because 
what I, what I hope you begin seeing is, is, is ultimately what the Pharisees are after. Uh, because, because eventually their, their efforts are going to fail and, and their hatred will go from this questioning of Jesus to an accusation of Jesus, effectively um, this execution of Jesus. Uh, but, it, but at this stage in the Gospels, their questions really re- reveal this desire that Jesus would simply look more like them. That's what they're saying. Hey, we get, we get you're religious. We get at this stage that, that you're, you have a popularity that's growing. Now, the only problem is you don't look like us. So we're, we're fine with you being popular as long as you're doing what we do and as long as you're uh, teaching what we teach and you're treating people the way we treat people. And, and so, and I think this is, this is what religion, at the end of the day, this is what religion will produce in us if, if we're not careful, um, a very self-centered approach to all things in life. Uh, that, that, that what we want is Jesus to adjust and to look like what they want, I should say, is, is for Jesus to adjust and to look like them while, while Jesus is engaging and he's speaking about their true path toward freedom and that they should look more like him. That's, that's all that's at play. They say, hey, you need to look like us. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't know what you need because what you really need is to look more like me. And, and so uh, this morning I thought uh, we were going to get through two scenes uh, where this kind of continues to be highlighted in Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. Um, however, like, like last week, I ran out of pages. Uh, and so we're only going to get to one scene. Uh, I know, some of you are like, what? You promised! Well, moms and dads make a lot of promises that sometimes they can't keep, guys. Um, and so, um, but what we're going to chew on is, is we're going to pay attention to this interaction that Jesus has in this episode uh, with the Pharisees. And we're going to chew on just... Just one scene, and along the way, we're going to add another question that surrounds how should we live as believers now that Jesus has come. All right, does that sound fair? Is that okay, Bailey? Is that good with you? All right, well, let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you care for us. We thank you that, that you have uh, not left us um, rescued but wandering aimlessly. And I pray this morning as we talk through this theme that that we would be very mindful of your desire for our hearts. And then we would be very mindful in these moments of the steps that we take to listen to your voice, to, to curl up into your lap. Father, we give you this morning, we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that he would speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so the question about Christian worship that we ended up kind of exploring last week revolved around how when it comes to life with Jesus presently, uh, there are times of fasting and then there are times of feasting. That, that, that we fast in a desire to know more of God's heart for us and, and His heart for the world. And then we feast specifically in these moments when, when the Spirit of God is moving in us and, and around us uh, because we're getting to experience a taste of heaven on earth, uh, that, that His presence really is. And so we feast in those moments and that we celebrate in those moments. And I think in, in large part... Uh, that, that this is what the disciples were experiencing as they were invited to walk uh, in the footsteps of Jesus. And so that's why he says, hey, they don't need to fast just yet because the, the groom 
is here at the wedding feast. And now the question before us this morning is going to come as a response to another conversation that the Pharisees had with Jesus. That, and, and it's going to revolve around, what it's going to revolve around is, is what the Pharisees will believe is a line that's being crossed. And, and now what Jesus will clarify is this line isn't being crossed. This line actually reveals something about the heart of, of the Father. And so, so we're going to frame it this way. And I think this is your first blank if you want to you follow along. That when it comes to following Jesus, should we serve the law or should we serve the Son? And what we're going to find is that, that by serving the Son, you fulfill the law. Uh, ultimately, because the Son is the one who fulfills it for you. Okay, so, so let's go. Um, chapter 6, verse number 1. We'll just read through the first five verses. All right? On the Sabbath, okay, so now we've, we've switched the scene. Right? The last two weeks we've been in the same room. We've been at Levi's house. Right? So ultimately the issue, first objection, why are you hanging out with sinners? And he says, I've come for the sick. Uh, and then, uh, then the question becomes about fasting. Now we've changed to on a Sabbath. While he, being Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Okay? So, but some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Dun, dun, dun. Right? And Jesus answered them, have you not read, which is funny, anytime Jesus tells the Pharisees, have you not read, he knows they would have read it. Okay? So, he says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with them, how he entered the house of God and, and took and ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful uh, for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And then he says this, And he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And if he had a mic to drop, this is, would have been the moment. This is what he would have done. Okay, so, so here's what we know, that, that the Pharisees don't give up easily. They don't. In fact, they tend to show up again and again, especially around religious times like the Sabbath. Uh, verse 1 says that the disciples are going through the grain fields. Okay, so that helps us understand the context, right? That helps us paint the scene of where they're at. They're literally in a field. So they're in a rural area just walking in, and, and this means that... that so as they pluck enough grain to rub together in their hands, they're not, it's not like they're farming, okay? They're just walking. And, and now, one person might suspect that at the outset of this transgression, of which Jesus is now being accused, that, that the objection would be, hey, they're stealing from this farmer. But this wasn't really the case that the Pharisees had in mind. Uh, the Pharisees are very knowledgeable of the law of the Old Testament, as well as the myriad of laws that they have been adding as uh, to the tradition of the rabbis. And, and so, so the Old Testament really makes explicit a provision for the traveler or the stranger to enter a field and help himself to this minuscule amount of grain that could be gathered by the hand. Okay? Now, how, how cool is it that when God is teaching way back in the Old Testament, when God is teaching his people, hey, Here's how you act with one another. He creates this provision for the stranger. And he says, you don't, you don't walk up against a stranger and say, hey, that's mine, leave it alone. He says, no, we, we should be generous with one another. We should be um, mindful of the needs 
of other people. And, and so, so the Pharisees, they have something else in mind, which, which really helps us when we consider how this scene is, is unfolding. Because how would the Pharisees know what these few men walking in a field are doing? They're lurking. That's what's happening. Like they are just stalking Jesus. They, they've now turned, right, from, from the religion of God to the religion of stalking. And they're just following him and they spy on him and they look for ways to trap him. And, and what this does, guys, is, is it exposes their hearts. And it helps us know that, that if we're bent toward living like a Pharisee, then it won't be long before we start following people around to see if they're picking grain out of a field. Like you just follow to see. I don't know if you've, if you've experienced people like that in your life, but they just kind of follow to see when they can tell you that you fell. So they raise this concern in, in verse 2, and, and they switch from their own authority to actually the authority of the Scriptures, which is different than last week, remember? Uh, that they were using their own authority to bring up their objection. And so they bring in the Scripture, and, and now God commanded Israel to observe the Sabbath and to keep it holy but by, by not working but resting. In fact, uh, breaking the Sabbath uh, by working required the death penalty in ancient Israel. Right? You literally could be dealt. And, uh, like we hear this and we have such a, such a strange um, relationship with work uh, because we think of it as the necessity in God. So when we're like, man, that seems really strict, uh, that God would kill you. God would say, hey, you deserve to be put to death for breaking this. It was such a severe penalty that we can well understand why faithful Israelites wanted to understand exactly what is meant by work on the Sabbath. And so, so they went to the priests, and they went to the, the scribes, and they went to the Pharisees, and, and what they did is they devised these rules and these lists defining what, what they considered work. That, for instance, you couldn't cook on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. Uh, there were some rules that said you could only take so many steps away from your front door before it was considered work. Uh, and, and so it just get, it went on and on and on. And pretty soon the issue that rose was that, was that it became almost impossible to keep the Sabbath. And so, so the Pharisees walking through a field and picking a handful of, of grain um, to them was profaning the Sabbath. That's, that's the argument. And so, so in verse 2, their questions seem to really spring from this assumption that, that keeping Sabbath regulations was more important than the needs of the people. That in this case, it was the hunger of, of the disciples. And, and so, so because they elevate law over people, what happens, and it becomes obvious, is they become hard toward people. And then they become very indifferent towards others' needs. So they don't, they don't understand verses in their Old Testament, well, which is old to them, but, but you get the idea. They, they don't get verses like Hosea 6.6 6, where it says, I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. And so can, can you see how if this is your mindset, how that affects your worship of God? So we've come, we, we dealt with this last week. We have a, a step to avoid in becoming a Pharisee. And it's simply that you don't make religious rules more important than God himself. Because that's, that's what's happening. And this is what Jesus clarifies. 
In fact, their charge is coming in and they're saying, hey, Jesus, you're breaking the law. And Jesus replies in verses 3 through 5 and he basically says, no, nah, bro, we're good. We're good. We're not, we're not breaking any law here. In fact, Jesus calls on another excerpt of Scripture, the history of, of Israel's greatest king uh, that, uh, and most celebrated king. Uh, and, and so in 1 Samuel 21, you have David, and at the time, he's not yet the king. Uh, in fact, he's on the run. Saul is trying to kill him. Saul is the king, and God has already told Saul, hey, I'm taking your kingdom away from you, and I'm giving it to David. And so David spends this season in his life on the run, and it's such an, such an interesting season because, because he knows he's been promised by God that, hey, you will be the king. He's been anointed as king, and yet he's not the king yet. And so he's in this season that's really difficult and it's really painful. And, and so, so he comes in, and while on the run, David and his men are hungry, and the only safe place that they can go is the temple. And in the temple, the only food that is in the building is some bread that's called the, uh, the, the bread of the presence. And, and it's kept before God as a memorial. And, and the only people who could eat the bread um, at the end is, is prescribed, uh, the prescribed time were the priests. And so, so David and his men eat this bread with the priest's blessing, right? And now here's what's interesting. This is, I think this is why Jesus brings it up. Nowhere in the Bible is David rebuked for it. Nowhere. And so, so Jesus uses this to draw their attention really to his authority. And, and what they do not yet see as they look to trap Jesus is that Jesus is greater than the law because he is the Lord over the true law of God. Right? We can, we can come back and we can just live. We can live in John chapter 1. Where, where he just opens and he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. And so, so this is, this is Jesus' response um, in verse 5. That's why it's so huge. Because he comes in, and with, with no more explanation, because we're just going to move to the next scene uh, next week. He just comes in, and with one word, he comes in, and he goes, he goes, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And now you and I, because I, I feel like we don't really have much of a, a proper appreciation for, for the Sabbath. We don't really understand how, how huge this statement is by Jesus. Because he's taken ownership over the law of God. So as Lord of the Sabbath, he rules the Sabbath. And now he can only rule it if he owns it. And he can only own it if he's the one who made it and gave it. Okay, so, so when the scribes and the Pharisees get very legalistic about the Sabbath, what happens is they enslave men to the Sabbath. And if the Sabbath were the, as if the Sabbath were the greatest thing, but, but, but here before them is one who is greater. As Matthew tells us, that, that he's greater than the Sabbath. He is the great lawgiver who interprets the meaning of the law without any error. In fact, Mark chapter 2 records this scene and, and adds that Jesus saying that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay? And we're, we're going to get, we'll get, somebody's like, well, okay, how are we going to apply this? We're going to get to that in just a little bit as we talk about our response to our Sabbath. But the Pharisees serve the law, but the law was meant to serve them. Okay? This is important that we would get this. 
that, that the law was intended to protect them. We said this last week, that the law was given to us as a placeholder until Christ could come. And Jesus never stands opposed to the law. In fact, he says, he says I'm not abolishing the law. I'm not doing away with the law. I'm fulfilling it because, and we'll, we'll get to this, the law was intended to protect us, protect them from, from overwork. And in this case, the idolatry of work. It was to protect them from the routine that regularly forgets God by reminding them that for a full day, at the very least, that God is their God and they are his people. That's, that's why the Sabbath is given. It's a reminder that God is our God and we are his people. And so God gave the Sabbath to refresh the souls and the body of people by having them meet with him. That's all it is. And so, so how, how kind of God to dedicate an entire day for us to do nothing but know him and meet with him and enjoy him and find ourselves refreshed by him. And this is, this is why good worship never exhausts but always fills. It's always energizing and it's always making ready. And now, now my, my guess is that if you find yourself in a place that that's not your experience, I think there's a good case that we don't, you don't have a proper respect for the Sabbath. And you're like, man, I don't know how. I don't, I don't know how to create that margin in my life to have not, not just a full day. Like, like bag, I'm, I'm just trying to give God this, this next hour and a half to be with him. And God created this system because he's very relational. And he says, he says you need me to fill you. And if you don't take the time to be filled, you will constantly find yourself empty before me and before other people. Alright? Does that, does this, does this step on your toes just a little bit? If so, good. So, so how kind of it, how kind is it that God would dedicate this day and he says, hey, you keep the Sabbath as holy. Holy being set apart. You set it apart. It's not, it's not part of your to-do list. This is what you do on this day, and, and this is why we must heed the flip side of these statements as a warning that, that neglecting the Lord's day brings self-harm. It does. That, that we harm ourselves when we busy ourselves with the world's pursuits or, or the work that we bring home. This, and now this might not be wrong in and of itself, but at the very least it's not healthy. And it's not best. And so, so the best thing... The best thing is getting to this part in our hearts where we understand what we'll find eventually when we get to Luke 10, which there's no telling what year that will be, all right? But, but when we get to Luke 10, there's going to be this moment when Jesus comes in to a house, and there's going to be two people. There's going to be Mary and Martha, and one of them is going to be running around the house trying to make sure she's a good host, and the other one will see Jesus, and she will just fall at his feet and worship him. And then there will be an objection brought to the table. Why isn't she picking up the trash and Jesus says she's where she needs to be? And so it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to create that margin. And we live in a world where the enemy wants you busy so that you can't be focused on God. So, so if, we're, if we're going to worship in a manner that pleases God, we serve the Son. 
we do. And so, so when we serve the Son, we discover that the law was made for us, to bless us and not to burden us. And, and that's the case with, with all of God's Word, but especially in this case with the law about keeping the Sabbath. Because, because really, all the Sabbath is, it's a shrine in time. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not a holy place, but it's a, it's a holy period. It's a time that's dedicated to rest and refreshment with the Lord. And that God made the Sabbath so that we, as we talk about application, God made the Sabbath so that we would have a regular day for meeting with Him and having our souls revived. That's all it is. The Sabbath was a gift to Israel just as the Lord's Day is a gift to the church. So Jesus, being, being the lawgiver, has not come to demand that we obey the law, even though we're the pursuit. I want, to make you, I want to make sure you understand. I'm not saying that we don't obey the law. But Jesus' argument is, is, is you can't obey the law. And, and this is what makes the pharisaical religion so repellent to God, that, that the Pharisees demand that we keep the law when even the lawgiver does not demand for that kind of righteousness. Because what happens is, is we've already failed at keeping the law. We have. And so the law requires that we die for that failure. The, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, so what Jesus has done is he comes and he perfectly fulfills the law, as he will tell us in is his mission in, in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 17. And so, and so he comes to fulfill the law, and he comes to pay the penalty that the law requires. And so every demand that God places on us, Jesus has fulfilled, even the keeping of, of the Sabbath. And so, so this is why Jesus lives this, this perfect life in obedience to God, to offer to God the righteousness that we don't have. And that's why Jesus voluntarily and lovingly sacrifices himself on the cross. This is, how, this is how the gospel works itself in today. So he pays the penalty of death and he suffers God's condemnation in our, in our place. And so, so everyone who believes in Jesus stops trying to work their way to God. Because God has made his way to us. And now, before you get a big head about that, just know it's out of His love, not your worth. And so, so, so everyone who believes in Jesus, we stop trying to work our way to God, and we turn from the hopes of self-righteousness, and we get to enter into a true rest. We get to enter into an unending Sabbath based on faith. In fact, that's why the writers of Hebrews um, tells us that the real Sabbath is first ceasing from working to earn the righteousness of God, and then second, that, 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 that the real Sabbath is by faith in Christ entering the rest that only Jesus can bring. Right? Just curl up to a fire today and get Hebrews 4 out and just live in it. So the Sabbath, like all the law and all the prophecies, are about the coming of Christ and about the coming of rest. It's about peace, which is all, it's, again, really all we want, right? We just want peace. We want peace with ourselves, we want peace with others, and we want peace with God. And all three of those things are available through Jesus. So, so that rest is not merely the seventh day. It's something more than that. It's about eternity. It's about resting for eternity. 
so we who believe have rested, as, as we sang earlier, from our war with sin. That's not to say there's not temptation. That's not to say that, that the enemy doesn't try to attack. But we don't have to be at war with sin because we've entered the rest that Christ purchases by his blood. And so in that rest, we flourish because we are living in health. And this is the true Sabbath, that, that all, all who believe in Christ, that we get to live in that. And so, so should we serve the law or should we serve the Son? And, and we come back and we say that we serve the Son and we find rest for our souls. That, that's what he does. And so we, Swan, we can start wrapping this up. And so, so where do we take these words, right? Like you've been very patient and very kind to let me just talk for a little bit. But, but where do we take these words? Because we have the law of keeping the Sabbath, but, but, as I, but I've said that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he fulfills the demands of the law, in particular, the keeping of the Sabbath. So, so technically, um, are we saying that the past 30 minutes can be summed up by simply stating, don't sweat the Sabbath stuff because it's all good? And the answer is no, that's not the case. That's not what we're saying. The, the warning for our application today is first, to not elevate the Sabbath law higher than the Sabbath maker. Okay? And then, and then secondly, we, we don't keep the law in an effort to garner more love from our Heavenly Father in the way, um, in the way that, that a husband would be tempted to wait to take out the trash or to wait um, to scrub the toilet until his wife is in the room and so she can see his efforts. Right? No, but nobody's ever done that liars like i make sure like there's a there's we our bathroom never smells better than whenever i scrub the toilet and it only happens when misty comes home and i'm like oh i was just scrubbing the toilet you know while i'm raising your children but that's a different lesson for another day that we we don't we don't keep the law in this effort to say hey god look what i'm doing look what i'm doing will you love me more now okay we we don't do that we we submit to god's way out of a response of our hearts of gratitude that He has chosen us and that He loves us. That, that's how you respond to love. That's how you respond. That's how you, that's how you look at Him and you say, I don't understand why you choose me, but you do, and I'm so thankful. So, so the breaking the Sabbath is a serious matter because you can't live in health with God if you're always speeding down the highway. Okay? Hear me, hear me when I say that. You can't live in health with God if you are always speeding down the highway. And, and I wonder, I wonder in this moment, what we are teaching our children about a life with God that is always in passing. Or, or what are we teaching our kids about life with God if it's always getting prioritized when, when there's, there's not a tournament or there's not a practice or there's not a weekend project that also needs to get done. You with? Like, like what, what are we teaching them when we're like, hey, we can go to church today because we don't have anything else to do. And I say with love. But I say with seriousness too. 
And I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that's like, well, you should be at church every Sunday. Now, I think you, I, I like being at church every Sunday. Uh, I like being at church every Sunday before I was paid to be at church. So, but I wonder, I wonder what it says to our children. I wonder what it says to our world. I wonder what it says to our God. When we say, good news, man, we can fit you in our schedule today. So, so I, I don't want to. I don't want to speak like a Pharisee. I don't. I don't want to sound like a Pharisee here. But I also don't want you confused. You don't attempt to keep the Sabbath in hopes that God will love you more. You don't. That you attempt to keep the Sabbath because it's in those moments that He meets with us and He fills us up so that we can be poured out for the glory of His name. That's why. That's why. And we live in a society, and I'm not trying to pile on, but we live in a society where God said, give me this day. And we live in a time that says, well, I can give you my morning on a Sunday. But then once I'm out of here, because some of us have done this, right? What, what do I have to do today? Well, I got Walmart pickup at noon, right? And then I got this, and I got that, and I got this, and I got that. So we went from God saying, hey, give me this day, and we said, hey, God, we'll give you this morning. And then we go to, well, a whole morning? Okay, I'm going to get a couple things done before church. God, you get, you get this hour and a half. And that's not... I say this with love. That's not re- that's not honoring God, and that that leads to the malnourishment of our souls. But God comes in and He says, "Keep the Sabbath, because I love you, and because I love you, I want to pour into you. I want to fill you up, so that so that as my Spirit is working in you, you are constantly in this." inflowing and outflowing of your life. Because again, your life isn't about you. It's about Him. So I think the sooner we get that, the better. And so if you, if you're, you walk out of here and you're like, well, He got on to me because my kids had a tournament this weekend. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking you to ask yourself, am I giving God my best? Am I giving him my heart and am I asking him to walk for me or with me? All right, that's all I got. Sorry I leaned in so hard, Bonnie, okay? Right, we can all hug it out in the parking lot. It'll be fine. Right, just, our desire this week is to love God. Bye. All right, you make a couple things available. If you, if you have never asked Jesus into your heart, I pray today would be the day of your salvation. Maybe you say, hey, I'm not ready for that step, but I got some questions. We want to answer some questions with you. We want to ask some questions alongside you. There'll be some people over here on this side of the room. They long to pray with you. They long to talk with you. So if you need prayer this morning, that is probably the most underutilized space that we have. But yet it's some of the most important space that we provide.
Maybe you just need some time between you and God, and we want to give you that, that space. I love you guys. I do. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, and we thank you that you love us and you care for us and that you are without fail in your affections for us. I pray as we talk about the Sabbath that we wouldn't talk about the the ritual, but we would talk about the reason you give it to us. And then that would draw us closer to, to seeing Jesus more clearly and how he is the Lord over that. So Father, help us run to your son. Give some of us courage to make adjustments in our schedules. Give some of us insight to the areas that we're blinded to. Father, we thank you in, in this moment that you have brought us thus far. And I pray for those in this room who don't know you through Jesus, that you would wake them up. name we pray.